Carrie. Heavenly Father God, I thank you for today, Lord. I thank you, Father, that you are good. Thank you, Father, that you're on the throne, that you're sovereign over all things. Father, that you are our creator. We acknowledge you as that today, Lord. We know that without you, we can do nothing, God. And Father, as we come into your presence today, Father, we just thank you that you have pulled us out from where we once were and you've set our feet on a solid foundation. And you've cleaned us up and that, Father, we are worthy because of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat>
your resurrection for defeating sin and death. Father, that it's only through you that we are now freed people. That he who the Son sets free is free indeed. God, that those who have are truly yours, God, have been born again of a new nature. Seeking, Father, to honor you with their lives, God, to, to love you, Father, with their whole being. With all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, with all of their body, with all of their strength. Father, your word says that if we draw close to you, you will draw close to us. We also are are aware, Father, that it's you who've begun this work in us. That God, that you were pleased to reveal yourself to us through your Son, Jesus. And I pray, God, that we wouldn't live lives that mock you. But God, that we would live lives that honor you. God, that we would truly fear you. Father, I thank you for this day. I, I thank you again just for the opportunity to, to hear your word, Father. Yes. And as we come together to take communion, Father, I pray that we would not just take it just because it's something we do, but God, that we would truly understand the significance of it. That, Father, you call us to do it in remembrance of you. So I pray, God, that you would search our hearts, oh God. And if there's sin in our heart and our lives, God, I pray that we would take this time even now to repent. To turn from wickedness. To turn from darkness. To, to turn from selfishness. And to turn to you. Holy Spirit, you would speak specifically to each of us, God. And that we can truly say in full agreement with you, Holy Spirit, and with each other, that we take this in remembrance of our Lord Jesus. So we thank you for this time, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning to everyone.
Carrie, if you can pray over the bread for us, please. Father, I thank you that in Jesus that you gave us the example and that we are to come. That this is a symbol of your body, your body that was broken for us. That you paid the ultimate price for our sin so that we can be reconciled to you to be reconciled to the Father. We know that there can be no sin in heaven. So we thank you, Jesus, that you paid the price. So I pray that as we take this bread, this symbol, that we would remember, that this truly do in remembrance of you, how you allowed your body to be broken for us, for all those who have gone before us, and for all those to come who accept you as Lord and Savior, so that we could spend eternity with you. In Jesus' name. Let's take the bread. Psalm 34, verse 14. Turn from evil and do good. Seek for peace and work hard to maintain it. Turning from evil and doing good. It's a theme we've been talking about. It's a scripture we've been talking about for over for about a year now. I want to encourage us to continue to live as unto Christ. And if you're not saved, if you're not a believer of Jesus, then my prayer is, is that you would turn to him. <laughs> that you would understand that in and of yourself, you cannot make yourself right with God. That it is a life that is surrendered to Jesus and to him alone. To turn from evil and to, good, to do good. To seek for peace and to work hard to maintain it. We know what's evil. 
in and of ourselves, we know that what we're putting our hands to is not right. That we're just giving in to our own flesh, to our own selfishness. And the Bible says going that way, nothing good will come from it. Only destruction. And as we know here, the flesh only knows to die. And so it hungers that which is killing it. And so we must turn from evil and do good. Because it's not in our strength, but it's in His strength that we can do good. That we can turn from the flesh. That we can turn from the temporalness of this world. That we can turn from hell's enticement and say, No, I am a new creation in Christ. I live differently now. I'm living to honor God. And in Him, in His strength, I can do all things. I can do good. I can make the right choice. I can stop thinking those thoughts. I can stop giving myself to this. I can stop allowing myself to be a tool of the enemy to wreak havoc on others. I can choose to do what is right. And in that, I can live a life of, of peace. That peace that surpasses all understanding. That even though your, your, your circumstances may be, be chaotic, inside you is not chaos. It's peace. Peace. That you can stand in the assurance that He is God. And then to work hard to maintain it. Like I'm not letting things in. I'm not letting people in. I'm not just going to keep giving myself. I'm not going to be like a dog returning back to its vomit. No, God, I'm going to trust in you. And I want that peace to be maintained. I just don't want to give it away freely. No, but God, I want it to be maintained. I want to live a life of peace. I want to live a life of honoring you and honoring others. I just don't want to live a life that's just giving myself away and losing myself to everyone and everything. But that God, I can honor you. And as we've been studying through the Old Testament, we're finishing the book of Exodus today. So we've already finished two books. And what we're seeing here is God's purpose and God's plan from the beginning. To have a people that he will call his own and in return they will call him their God. And they would live for him. And as we're studying on Friday nights, God is not to be this common God. We, we don't make him our homeboy. We don't bring him down to our level because he's not man. He is the creator. He's not the creative. And so we honor him as such. We see him as such. And as we've been learning, it's not God stiff-arming us, saying, you're not welcomed here. No, it's us stiff-arming God, saying to God, you're not welcomed here. And how sad. How sad that we would choose to turn to the created and turn from the creator. When the Creator, when God Himself is doing everything, day in and day out, through your lives, revealing Himself to you. And so you have to ask yourself, what is your position? Stiff-arming God or receiving such great love? Such great love. No one 
is ever going to fulfill you or complete you or love you like the Father loves you. No one. No matter how much you try to search for it. No matter how much you give yourself over to people and to things of this temporal world, you will never feel secure, at peace, and whole until you are in Christ. You have to ask yourself, am I stiff-arming God? Am I choosing the, the created to fulfill me, which I know that it can never fulfill me? Or am I in a position of surrender? Like, you're God, I'm not. In and of myself, I'm just a sinner. In and of myself, I'm completely rebellious towards you. But you love me. And you were pleased to reveal yourself to me through your son Jesus. And in that revelation of Jesus, I bow my knee. I humble myself before you. And I receive freely. Freely I receive. Y'all get that this morning. We freely receive everything that God has for us. He doesn't hold anything back. As soon as we humble ourselves, as soon as, as we receive him as Lord and Savior, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are born again of a new nature. And now we're living a different way. By honoring God with our thoughts, with our heart, with our, with our bodies, like we're honoring God. We have been engrafted into his kingdom. We now become part of the body, the church. And as we've been studying about the church and how important the church is, it's the bride of Christ. It's the body of Christ. And, and so we don't talk negative about the church. We just don't come to church and making it a common place. No, we come and we reverence God and we, and we find the church sacred and we say God here I am to be part of you to to honor you to serve as you serve to trust in you and that way the lost looks at the church and says there's something different about those people some people will be drawn to Jesus others are going to laugh at the church mock the church persecute Christians because that's what they did to Jesus the world did not accept Jesus religious people don't accept Jesus they'll pretend they know him but in their hearts they still want to live for themselves so religious people do and so they try to make him common to keep them where they're at but when you have a true revelation of Jesus, your life will not remain the same. It changes you. It transforms you. Because he's God. And he's in the business of transformation. He's in the business of, of setting the captives free. And then sending them among the captives so that the freed can point the captives to him. So as we've been studying, God delivered the Israelites. He has brought them out of slavery. He has set these people aside for himself to bring the Messiah, to bring Jesus. 
And that's why I'd encourage you as, you, as we're studying the Old Testament, look for Jesus in it, because he's everywhere. It's all about him. It's all about pointing to him. Pointing to his birth. Pointing to his ministry. Pointing to his death. Pointing to his resurrection. Pointing to his kingdom. <laughs> so he has set these people aside. And in doing so, we've been reading about them building the tabernacle. This place where they're going to be able to come and tabernacle with God. To commune <coughs> with God. Now God himself, you all. God himself. Now they've seen him do great miracles. <laughs> they've seen him do, I mean, things that we ha haven't even seen him do. <laughs> But remember, as soon as he delivered them, what do they end up doing? They end up going right back to themselves. Moses was away, remember? And they looked at Aaron, the, the man of God who was in position at that point, and said, we need a God to worship. And remember, he built the golden calf. And they have a festival. They begin worshiping the calf. They begin to, to drink and carry on like people that didn't know God. And these were God's people. And it's no different than us. But there should be a difference. You can't claim God and then keep going back to your old ways. Because you're making a mockery of them. Remember Moses came down from the mountain? And saw what was going on. And he smashed the tablets. And then he said, those who are with us, with God, come stand with me. And those who aren't, they were slaughtered. They were slaughtered. God doesn't play, you all. God doesn't play. Remember, he's a God of love, but he's also a God of wrath. He's a God of wrath, and he's also a God of love. But God is just. Like that picture I keep giving us, God is not stiff-arming you, saying, oh, look how bad you are. I can never love you. No, God isn't stiff-arming us, saying, you can never come to me. No, God's arms are wide open to receive you. He's not going to force you to love him. He's not going to force any of us to, to follow his in obedience, the life that he's calling us to through Jesus. He's not going to force us. He just calls us. Because how is love displayed? By one laying down their life. I know everybody wants to be loved. And when we try to love in and of our flesh, we're fools. We can't even comprehend love. But this picture of true, genuine love is laying your life down. As Jesus laid his life down, 
That's the life he calls us to. Because when we lay our old life down, we say, we're not going to give in to these desires. I'm not going to give in to this identity anymore. No, I'm not going to give in to what the world says is okay for me to be. No, I'm going to surrender my life, and I'm going to say, come, Lord Jesus, come. And in that, love is being displayed to creation. To creation itself. Even the angels are moved that the created man and created woman would lay their lives down to worship and to love God. The Bible says heaven celebrates when one surrenders and love is expressed. The expression of love. Has heaven celebrated over your life? They should have. And if they haven't, if you haven't given your life completely to Jesus, then, then give your life to Jesus. <laughs> because he loves you. He loves you. Don't be the one stiff-arming him, <laughs> saying, no. I'm going to live for me. I mean, that would be your choice. Like those people's choice. When they dance and parade it around the calf, saying, this is the God that led us. And yet then they were slaughtered. And we see that all through Scripture. God does not Play with sin. He understands our condition. He understands that we are in complete rebellion towards Him. And that's why He sent Jesus. See, people blame God. But God is not at fault. And so he's building, he's instructed that this tabernacle be built so that he can come be among his people. That they will have a place of worship. <coughs> Remember, it's very detailed how he wanted it built. And even the people, when they heard the, what the needs were, the people of God responded. They gave freely. They didn't have to be manipulated. They just gave freely because it's God's asking. And remember, he has these men who he specifically anointed with these, these skills to build. He also instructed them to teach others. So this tabernacle is being built. And as we've talked about it before, it was a moving tabernacle. Like, they, wherever they went, they had to build it up, and then they had to tear it down when it was time to move on. Because at this time, the Israelites did not have their own land. They were wanderers. <laughs> they were just wandering, getting to the promised land. And God was moving with them. But God had them instruct, I mean, and build up this tabernacle constructed and, and remember what we talked about last week what held the tabernacle together was were the bases 
that they would tie the tents down, that they were putting the poles in, these solid bases that were constructed to hold this tabernacle together so that it can withstand whatever circumstance or elements that was coming against it. Strong winds could not blow this down. And then I encouraged you last week. Our base as Christians is Jesus. We are to be anchored in Christ. We are to allow our roots to grow down deep into Christ. We are to be maturing and growing and getting more intimate with the Father. Knowing Him as He's knowing us. And bringing forth the new man, the new woman forth. So that no matter what the circumstances are, or what's beating up against our lives, we don't crumble. We don't fall over. No, we're standing. The Bible in Ephesians says, after you've done all you know to do, stand. And you stand with the assurance, not in and of yourself, but in your God. Like God has me. I'm not going to be moved by this. It can blow against my life. It can press up against me. It shall not crush me. Like you talk with confidence. You remember that peace? That peace that, that you're searching for and that you're working hard to maintain? That's it. You're standing in the peace of God. Because he's our base. And it doesn't matter where we're, where we're moving or what we're going through. He's our base. We're grounded in Him. And not only that, we're tabernacling with Him. We are in communion with Him. And this is what they were instructed to build. This place where they can tabernacle. Where they can commune and have fellowship with God Himself, you all. And it was so detailed so detailed on the specifics of all the tools that were used in this place of worship. And I've encouraged you. If you're a Christian today, you're God's tabernacle of your generation. God did not make you in error. <laughs> there's, no, there, there's no blemish or spot on you. Like you're a Christian, you've been born again, you're covered with the blood of Jesus. You are now tabernacle, tabernacling, communing with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate tabernacle. But because of Jesus, we are now filled with the Holy Spirit. We are those skillfully crafted pieces being used to reveal God's glory. As it was then, so it is now. This is the church. This is the Christian life. And it's to be honored and to be respected because he's honored. He's respected. Something so beautiful you all. So today we finish with the tabernacle. Exodus 39. We're finishing with the book of Exodus. We have two chapters to finish. And then we move into Leviticus. So now it's time to, to finalize the final piece. And that's the clothing for the priest. 
men that were called to stand in the gap for the others. And look who the head priest is here. It's Aaron. And I love this picture of Aaron being the, kind of like the head priest. Because yet though he failed back here, God didn't give up on him. God still had a plan. God still had a purpose. And Aaron would fulfill this purpose. And just so you know, Jesus is the highest priest. There's no other priest coming. There's no need for a priesthood because Jesus now, because of his resurrection, because he's ascended and now he's at the right hand of the Father, he is the high priest. No man is to be between you and God because Jesus has already accomplished it again. We must look through and study scripture. We must see it all pointing to Jesus. It's all Jesus. <laughs> you all, that's all we have is Jesus. We don't need anyone between us and Jesus. Because when we do that, then we're saying he didn't do enough. That somehow, some way, we, we've got to go through these other means to get to him. <laughs> but you won't find that anywhere in the Bible. But in the Old Testament, God set apart a group of men that would lead his people. That they would hear from him. And that they would go and tell the people that they would be the men who would take the, the animals that needed to be sacrificed and sacrifice them to cover for the sins of the people. Remember, Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's the final sacrifice. That's why we're not showing up at a temple today, taking a goat or birds and having it sacrificed. Because that was done away with once Jesus was sacrificed. He fulfilled what was needed in order for sin to be forgiven. Jesus, you all. So don't get confused when you're reading the Old Testament and seeing the way that they were instructed to worship and wonder... Well, where is that in the New Testament? It's in Jesus, you all. It's in Jesus. But as Christians, as Christians, you, you know what the Bible calls us? A royal priesthood. Because what's our position in Christ? And he's the ultimate high priest. And so because we are in Christ, now if you are a Christian, you are now identified as a royal priesthood. But that still doesn't call you 
calls you to be in front of Jesus and having people come through you to get to him. So don't get confused about that. You being identified as that is all because of Jesus, you all. Jesus. But in this time, in the book of Exodus, the, these, these were people who were called of God. Remember, they were set apart for his purpose so that they would make his glory known among the nations. And that's the same purpose that we have today. Is that God's glory is to be made known through your life, if you are a Christian, among the nations. That's why you're to live with the kingdom mindset. Not that same earthly mindset. Because you've been engrafted now to his kingdom. So now you're hungering and you're thirsting for more of him, for more understanding of how now you ought to be living. Remember, you were created for Him, you were created by Him, and your purpose, your sole purpose, is to bring glory, to make His glory known to the nations. To the nations. And that's why each and every single day, as Christians, you get up, and you live for the glory of God. God, I may never go to China, but God, I may meet someone, that their life is impacted by my life, that they come to Christ, and you may send them to China. See, your feet may never go to the nations, but where your feet lead you each and every single day, there's a potential that you can personally go, or that your life in Christ will impact someone else's life, that they give themselves to Christ, and then they go. And we have a great opportunity in our generation because of social media, that you can connect with someone in Japan. <laughs> People can see your profile. And we ought to be utilizing social media for his glory, not for our own. Though that's what it was created for, is to basically puff us up. But as Christians, we should be puffing him up. Acknowledging him. Because that is our life now. God set these people apart. And in setting them apart, he set another group apart. And now they're physically are going to wear garments that represents that they are the priest. And they're beautiful garments, as we're going to read. And when I thought about that this week as I was studying, I was thinking about the New Testament. See, the New Testament takes, reminds us to take off our old garments and put on the new. Put on Christ. So that when people then look at us, there's something different about you. You used to be not so compassionate, but there's a sense of compassion about you now. You used to be vulgar with your language, but there's something that just drips from your lips that's, that's sweet. You know? Because we're taking off the old and we're putting on the new. Our 
position, y'all, in Christ. But now we're looking, chapter 39 of Exodus, the clothing for the priest. The craftsmen made beautiful, sacred garments of blue, purple, and sacred cloth, clothing for Aaron to wear, while ministering in the holy place, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And again, we see that phrase over and over and over in the building of the tabernacle. They did it as the Lord commanded. Remember, they didn't take shortcuts. They, they did exactly as the Lord commanded. And I've been encouraging us, every time you read that, you reflect on that and say to yourself, am I doing what the Lord has commanded or am I taking shortcuts? You ought not to be taking shortcuts. You don't start something and then neglect it. But in the flesh, aren't we all used to doing that though? We start stuff. And then we kind of go, we kind of give up on it. It's easy to do. I'm not interested in doing that anymore. It's boring. I'm just not motivated. I'm just not passionate about it anymore. So I just give up. I, I just go and do something else. Oh, but as Christians, we're to be passionate. We're to be, as the word we studied on Friday, devoted. Like this isn't something we just start. Okay, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, and then get halfway down the road and be like, ah, oh, no, no, I, I don't follow Jesus today. What? Even Jesus himself says to those who are following him, if you're going to be my disciple, consider the cost. Don't be like that man who builds and in the midst of building stops. Because then people are going to laugh. Listen, we're not to be mocking Jesus. We're not to be living lives where others look at us and mocks Jesus. No, they should be looking at us honoring Jesus. <laughs> and again, some will, some won't. Some will, th will you be, you'll, you'll be like the stench of death to them. <laughs> but that doesn't mean you stop living for Jesus. You keep living for Jesus. You keep persevering. You keep going. You keep going. You keep going. Until finally when you're with him, you hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. <clears throat> That's the beauty of it, you all. And we realize in and of our own strength, it's not about us, it's about him. And Father, you, your word says you've given me everything I need to live a godly life. So God, I want to do as you have commanded. Remember the scripture from last week? And Matthew, what did he tell his disciples? Go into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey some of my commandments. Yeah, no, he didn't say some. He said, all of my commandments. Like, you are to be doing as the Lord has commanded. And you do it freely. A Christian life is not this humdrum life. Like, oh, I just don't have fun. Like, this is boring. Or this is, no, you, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is exciting. <laughs> like, you are in relationship with the eternal God. Like, God himself was pleased to reveal himself to you, not because you did anything, but because Jesus did it. And so then he says, come, come to me. Worship me. I am life. 
I've come to give life and life and an abundance. But understand this, if you choose to follow me, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you everything. And if you don't want to choose that, do you know Jesus is okay with that? He's okay to say, if I'm not to be your God, then here, go, let that be your God. See if that fulfills you, completes you, satisfies you. And in the end, that will be your God. Remember, again, again, it's not God stiff-arming us. No, it's us stiff-arming God saying, you're not God, I'm going to live how I want to live. I'm not going to do as you have commanded. And then we go about our days. Well, see, it must not be God because nothing, nothing's happening. And we go about our days and our days and our days and our days and then our days and then our days and then at the end of the day. And that final breath is taken. We stand before him. And your position in standing before the creator, the savior, is the one that does not know him. And he doesn't know you. And then he says, depart from me. I never knew you. But understand this, before you depart, you will bow your knee before him. Because everyone is going to end up bowing their knee before him. And so, you have an opportunity to bow your knee now. And living for him now. You're not waiting for heaven for all the benefits. It's He's present here and now. And that's why as Christians we should be excited to live for him. And we know that in this world we will have trouble, but we are to be of good cheer because he's already overcame the world. We're not looking for Jesus to be our, 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 our genie. It's like what Doreen and I were talking about today, this morning, about wearing a cross. Like, wearing a cross, if you're doing it for the right reason, the motivation is as, as a reminder of, of what he endured. <laughs> and what beauty came from the cross, that's great. But if you're doing it as a little trinket, as, oh, you know, God, make it better for me today. Oh, God, doing it like some weird, weird religion. No, that is horrible. There's nothing wrong with, with having crosses up, with having pictures of Jesus up. Again, if, if you're doing it with the right motivation as a remembrance of him. But if they're up in your home and, they, and you're worshiping it, oh, something is wrong. Even if you slap Jesus' name on it. Because you never see that anywhere in here. So we are to live as he has commanded us. And that's why I get so excited, even back here in the Old Testament, when I hear those words, and they did as he commanded. Verse 2. Bezel made the ephod of finely woven linen and embroiled it with gold. 
with blue, purple, and scarlet thread. He made gold thread by hammering out thin sheets of gold and cutting it into fine strands. With great skill and care, he worked it into the fine linen with the blue, purple, and scarlet thread. The ephod consisted of two pieces, front and back, joined at the shoulders with two shoulder pieces. The decorative sash was made of the same materials, finely woven linen embroidered with gold, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. They mounted the two onyx stones in the setting of gold figuratively. The stones were engraved with the names of the tribes of Israel, just as a seal is engraved. He fashioned the stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as a reminder, look at this, that the priest represents the people of Israel. All this was done just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And I've encouraged you all before, if you haven't done it, go and Google what this temple looked like. Go and Google what, what these priestly outfits look like. They're amazing. Bezalel made the chess piece with great skill and care. He made it to match the ephod. Using finely woven linen embroidered with gold and with blue, purple, and scarlet thread, he made the chest piece of a single piece of cloth folded to front form a pouch nine inches. Uh, sorry, a pouch nine inches square. They mounted four rows of gemstones on it. The first row contained a red caldron, a pale green periot, and an emerald. Em emerald. The second row contained a turquoise, a blue lapis lazuli, and a white moonstone. The third row contained an orange jacinth, and a gate, and a purple amethyst. The fourth row contained a blue-green beryl, and an onyx, and a green jasper. All these stones were set in gold, and a gold figurely, figurely green. Each stone represented one of the 12 sons of Israel, and the name of that tribe was engraved on it like a seal. They attached, to attach the chest piece to the ephod, they made braided cords of pure gold thread. They also made two settings of gold figurity and the two gold rings and attached them to the top corners of the chest piece. They tied the two gold cords to the rings on the chest piece. They tied the other ends of the cords to the gold settings on the shoulder pieces of the ephod. They, then they made two more gold rings and attached them to the inner inside edges of the chest piece next to the ephod. Then they made two gold rings and attached them to the front of the ephod below the shoulder pieces, just above the knot where the decorative sash was fashioned to the ephod. They attached the bottom rings of the chest piece to the rings on the ephod with the blue cords. In this way, the chest piece was held securely to the ephod above the decorative sash. All this was done just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Belzo made the robe that is worn with the ephod with a single piece of blue woven cloth with an opening for Aaron's head in the middle of it. The opening was reinforced with a woven collar so that it would not tear. They made pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and attached them to the hem of the robe. They also made bells of pure gold and placed them between the pomegranates along the hem of the robe, with bells and pomegranates of alternating all around the hem. The robe was to be worn whenever the priests ministered before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. 
They made tunics for Aaron and his sons from fine linen cloth. The turban, the turbans and the special head coverings were made of fine linen cloth, and the undergarments were also made of finely woven linen. The sashes were made of finely woven linen and embroidered with blue, purple, and scarlet thread, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Finally, they made the sacred medallion, the badge of holiness of pure gold. They engraved it like a seal with these words, Holy to the Lord. They attached the medallion with a blue cord to Aaron's turban, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And so at last, the tabernacle was finished. The Israelites had done everything just as the Lord had commanded Moses, and they brought the entire tabernacle to Moses. The sacred tent with all of its furnishing, class, frames, crossbars, posts, and bases. The tent covering of tanned ram skins and fine goatskin leather. The inner curtain to shield the ark, the ark of the covenant and the carrying poles the ark's cover, and the place of atonement. The table and all its utensils, the bread of, of the presence, the pure gold lampstand with its symmetrical lamp cups, all its accessories, and the olive oil for lighting, the gold altar, the anointing oil, and fragrance incense, the curtain for the entrance of the sacred tent, the bronze altar, the bronze grating and its carrying poles and utensils, the wash basin with its stand, the curtains for the walls of the courtyard, the posts and their bases, Whew, the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard, the ropes and tent pegs, all the furnishings to be used in the worship at the tabernacle, the beautifully stitched garments for the priests to wear while ministering in the holy place, the sacred garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments for his sons to wear as they ministered as priests. So the people of Israel followed all of the Lord's instructions to Moses. Then Moses inspected all of their work. When he found it had been done just as the Lord had commanded him, he blessed them. Then the Lord said to Moses, set up the tabernacle. On the first day of the new year, place the Ark of the Covenant inside and, instill, and, and install the inner curtain to enclose the Ark within the most holy place. Then bring in the table and arrange the utensils on it and bring in the lamp stand and slant stands, stand and set up the lamps. Place the gold incense altar in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Then hang the curtain and the entrance of the tabernacle. Place the altar of burnt offering in front of the tabernacle entrance. Set the wash basin between the tabernacle and the altar and fill it with water. Then set up the courtyard outside, oh, I'm sorry, around the outside of the tent and hang the curtain for the courtyard entrance. Take the anointing oil and, and anoint the tabernacle and all of its furnishings to consecrate them and make them holy. Anoint the altar of burnt offering and its utensils to consecrate them. Then the altar will become absolutely holy. Next, anoint the wash basin and stand it, I'm sorry, and its stand to consecrate them. Present Aaron and his sons at the entrance of the tabernacle and wash them with water. Dress Aaron and with the sacred garments and anoint him, consecrating him to serve me as priest. Then present, present his son 
sons and dress them in their tunics. Anoint them as you did their father, so they may also serve me as priests. With their anointing, Aaron's descendants are set apart for the priesthood forever from generation to generation. Moses proceeded to do everything just as the Lord had commanded him. So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month of the second year. Moses erected the tabernacle by setting down its bases, inserting the frames, attaching the crossbars, and setting up the posts. Then he spread the coverings of over the tabernacle framework and put on the protective layers just as the Lord had commanded him. He took the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant and placed them inside the ark. Then he attached the carrying poles to the ark and he set the ark's cover, the place of atonement on top of it. Then he brought the ark of the covenant into the tabernacle and hung the inner curtain to shield it from view just as the Lord had commanded. Next, Moses placed the table in the tabernacle along the north side of the holy place, just outside the inner curtain. And he arranged the bread of the presence on the table before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded him. He set the lampstand in the tabernacle across from the table on the south side of the holy place. Then he lit the lamps in the Lord's presence, just as the Lord had commanded him. He also placed the gold incense altar in the tabernacle and the holy place in front of the inner curtain. On it he burned the fragrant incense just as the Lord had commanded him. He hung the curtain at the entrance of the tabernacle and he placed the altar of burnt offering near the tabernacle's entrance. On it he offered a burnt offering and a grain offering just as the Lord had commanded him. Next, Moses placed the wash basin between the tabernacle and the altar. He filled it with water so the priests could wash themselves. Moses and Aaron and Aaron's sons used water from it to wash their hands and feet. Whenever they approached the altar and entered the tabernacle, they washed themselves just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he hung the curtains forming the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar. And he set up the curtain and the entrance of the courtyard just as the Lord, I'm sorry, just, I'm sorry, the courtyard. So at last Moses finished the work. Ooh, that's a lot of reading. There's so much detail, you all. And could you imagine being these other nations? Looking at the Israelites, you know, remember, the nation saw the Israelites going back and worshiping a golden calf. And they also heard that half of those Israelites were slaughtered for worshiping the calf instead of their God. So now these nations are watching. And here's Moses and the people of God building up this tabernacle. Everything's in place just as the Lord commanded. But we're not finished. There's just a few more verses. And thank God we're not finished. Because if we just stopped there, and the book of Exodus ended with, and he set up the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard, so at last Moses finished the work. If that was it, something would be missing. Something would be missing. Oh, that's nice. That's a nice structure. 
Oh, look, they're going through these routines of worshiping their God. But do you know what's missing? The presence of God. See, what marks people from this generation to our generation and to the generations of his, his return, what marks us as his people is his presence within us and upon us. That's why as Christians, we are sacred, we are set apart, we are consecrated, we are to be holy as he is holy. And only that can be, only that can be done when we seek his presence. When we, as we read here, are very detailed with our lives... I'm yours. And just as we're about to read, and let's just go ahead and read. Verse 34. Remember, everything's finished. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey, following it. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day. And at night, fire glowed inside the cloud so the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout their journey. I don't know about you. That's pretty amazing. See, the other nations... Although they worship gods, but those gods are not God. What marked God's people out from among the others is God Himself. His glory filled the tabernacle, the cloud, fire by night. Cloud by day. God. And do you know when the church was birthed? In the book of Acts? When they were waiting in the upper room? God's glory fell. Tongues of fire. It's upon their head. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And these men and women who were in that room lives changed and just this group of people in that room went out and the whole earth changed because people now are receiving Jesus People's now, people are now all throughout the earth are hearing the good news and they're responding and in an instant God fills them. And 
and now they're honoring God. Y'all, that's what the church is. We've made it what it's not supposed to be. I mean, we really have. And that's why not just us, just not me, but there is a move taking a place all throughout the earth that's saying, listen, we've got to go back to Jesus. We've got to go back to who we really are and stop playing church, stop pretending. Stop making him so common. Stop splashing his blood underneath our feet. Stop giving into all the lust and all the desires of this earth because that is not what Jesus came to do. Oh, it's okay to look religious. Do you know what the religious people are? They are that tabernacle set up without the glory of God. Oh, it looks good, but it's empty. It's empty. People are saying they love Jesus, or people are saying that they are Christians, and they aren't even living for him, and they don't even fear that they're not even living for him. Do you remember the back in Matthew? At the end, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these religious men who should have known that Jesus was the Messiah, but they were so consumed for themselves that they wanted him to get away. We had to do away with him. And you remember after the, the guards, the Roman guards came back to them and said, oh. there was this huge shaking. This angel appeared. Remember, they gave them the report of what happened. The, the stone was rolled away, and his body isn't there. And do you remember what these men did? Here's some hush money. This is what you're going to say. They had a moment to hit their knees and go, Oh, God, what have we done? Forgive us. Oh, but no. They were more concerned about having the tabernacle built without the presence of God. And that is what's wrong with churches today and wrong with religious institutions. They've created a structure and there's no presence of God. No presence of God. They have a form of religion and rituals and they're leading people to hell thinking that they're saved. And even Jesus exposes them and says you travel far to win converts but you make them, this is Jesus' words, you make them twice as much the son of hell as you are. And we play church, you all. I don't want to do that anymore. That's what I'm telling you all. Something's happened to me. Going through all this sickness, going through these past years, like something has taken place, and God is saying, wake up, Rob, wake up, wake up. And I'm like, oh, God. I don't want to just play church with you all. I want us to come, and I want us to, to have a hunger for God. Even when we're going through the worst parts and seasons of our life, we can't keep being like people who start it and then, uh, I'm not gonna, I don't want to go any further. How sad. How sad to just go so far and think you're safe and you're not. Remember back in Jeremiah when I was reading to you in Jeremiah? 
Like, remember he had Jeremiah the prophet standing outside of the temple, warning people as they were coming in, oh, you think you're safe? You think you're safe because you're coming into this place? And then he was calling them out. God knows your heart. God sees your, your attitude. God knows that as soon as you enter this place, you're going to go right back out to your filth. I challenge you to read Jeremiah. He was not treated kindly in his days. Because people don't want to hear God. They want to hear their God. They're comfortable in the tabernacle without his presence. But let, let God's presence show up. And people withdraw. And yet, as Christians, the Bible says that we can come boldly into his presence, into his presence conf- with confidence, not of ourselves, because of him. It's all about him. Like when you gave your life to Christ, it's not nothing to do with you, no good works you did. No, it's because your eyes were open and you were like, oh, Jesus, oh, God. And you grieved over your sin, like, oh, God, I don't want to live this way anymore. Thank you for saving me. Thank you that I can get up. I don't have to be bound by shame or addictions or or craziness. I don't have to be bound by religion. But God, I can just trust in you. Oh, God, you love me. You love me. I mean, God, there's, I'm telling y'all, there's nothing else that can compare to it. But praise God that this is how the chapter ended. God showed up. God showed up. Just think if they took shortcuts. And just think if they did, and if Moses went in and saw the shortcuts, like, oh, we can just bypass that. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. God wouldn't have shown up. God wouldn't have shown up because God doesn't play. And it's okay that he's God. It's okay that he's God and he has a standard. (laughs) Because he doesn't call us to something that he himself won't work within us. That's why the Christian life is dependent upon him. Go to Mark. We're starting Mark chapter 1, verse 1 through 28. We're moving on to another book in the New Testament. So let's talk a little bit about Mark. Many passages of Scripture speak of Jesus as the exalted Lord. But Mark's Gospel presents another side of Jesus as well. His servanthood. Mark was not one of the twelve disciples. But it is traditionally believed that his Gospel was compiled by the sermons of the Apostle Peter. Mark set the pace with his Gospel from the very start foregoing the details of Jesus' birth and moving straight into his baptism and ministry. Throughout this gospel, Jesus is constantly on the move, healing the sick, confronting demons, feeding large crowds, giving time to outsiders, and tirelessly responding to requests for help and guidance. Mark included several passages of teachings as well. 
but these are largely overshadowed by the actions of Jesus's. I'm sorry, of the accounts of Jesus's actions. Mark made it clear that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. No one else could have done what Jesus did, but Jesus's actions and teachings also point toward a core theme of the book. And here it is: for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The book closes with Jesus' death and resurrection, thus completing a basic outline of the life of Jesus Christ. And so, through this book, we're going to see John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus. We're going to see the Galilean ministry of Jesus. We're going to see the trip to Jerusalem and the entrance into the, into the city. We're going to see the conflicts that were in the city. We're going to see prophecies of things to come, and all finally we'll see Jesus' death and resurrection. And the author of this book was John Mark. The purpose of this book is to present Jesus as both servant and son of God by recounting his ministry and teachings in a basic biblical outline. And then the themes, Jesus the Messiah, servanthood, ministry, and miracles. Ultimately, as we're studying through the book of Mark, we're going to see our Lord as a servant. And I pray as we're studying through the book of Mark that that will impact our lives. Because we are to be as he was. A servant. Serving others, you all. Thinking of others better than ourselves. That's how Christians live. Humbling ourselves before God and before others. Chapter 1, verse 1 through 28. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and returned, I'm sorry, and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. 
out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time, I'm sorry, this time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Jesus' ministry beginning. And what was his mission? What was his message? Repentance. Turn from your selfish ways, from your rebellious ways, and turn to God. And John the Baptist, you all, was prophesied back in the book of Isaiah, and that's why I keep encouraging you when you're studying the Old Testament, look for Jesus in it. It was prophesied that John the Baptist would go ahead of Jesus preparing the way. And here this man was, in that day, in that generation, out in the wilderness, hollering at people. I mean, he was loud. He wasn't a gentle little preacher. No, he was loud. He understood the message. Repent, you sinners, for the kingdom of God is near. Come, repent, repent. Remember, he upset the governors and the people in leadership because he was exposing them. And then when the Pharisees and, and the spiritual men would come, he would expose them too. And they were angry at John. And finally John was arrested and beheaded because he spoke truth. He spoke truth. Hmm. Listen, people don't when people are selfish and they just want to keep living for themselves, remember, they're stiff-arming God. They're saying, you're not God. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to do what I want. And they get angry when they hear other people talking about repentance. Because their selfish lives mean more to them. I mean, how sad. The message hasn't changed, you all. Remember what Jesus, we just finished the book of Matthew. We just talked about that just a minute ago. What did he tell them to do? Go into all the world, <laughs> baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all my commands. So that's why we live differently as Christians. That's why we look odd to people. What do you mean you don't get into that? What do you mean you don't do that? What do you mean? Why aren't you coming out with us? Why aren't you doing these things? No, <laughs> I'm a Christian. Christian. And you said, truly, can this life be lived? Oh, yes. Because as you're not, it's not your life to live, it's his to live through you. And that's why I encourage you all. Live it. And this Christian life is not easy to live. It's not. But Jesus tells you it's not. It wasn't easy for John the Baptist to go into the wilderness and eat locusts and honey. <laughs> Look like a crazy man declaring this message. It wasn't easy for him. It wasn't easy for the prophet, of Jer the prophet Jeremiah to be standing outside the temple declaring to them, listen, y'all are coming here thinking you're safe, but you're not. I mean, this man was beaten. This man was tied with ropes and lowered down into the mud. I mean, they wanted him dead. The world crucified Jesus, they wanted him done with. 
But it was all part of his plan. He willingly laid there. He willingly took the beatings because he knew ultimately was coming what was coming. And so it is as he calls us to himself. We say not a word when people are lashing out on us. We have brothers and sisters across the way overseas that when, when they when the government or when people find out that they're Christians, they take them out and they beat them down and they tell them, we denounce him, turn from him and we will stop this. And they say no. We'll never deny him. They drag them into prison. They mutilate their children in front of them. If you would just say you don't love Jesus. And they go, no. We love him. And then we come in America pretending we're Christians. Oh, we just show up for church. Oh, whatever, whatever. I love Jesus. And we're not even understanding the fullness of what it is to be a Christian. And that's why we have to be awakened, you all. Because there's people dying out there that need you in their life to live for, to live for Christ. To live boldly. I'm not telling you to go out there and beat people over the head with the Bible. But I am telling you, if you're calling yourself a Christian, you better be living among them. And when the door opens that you can tell them about Jesus, you ought to be telling them. I mean, I've shared with you all before. When I, when I, I gave my life to Christ, I was hired at this one place. And the first night of training, I'm sitting there. And I say, oh, we're going to go around the room. And we, we want you to tell something interesting about yourself. And soon as I heard that man say that, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and says, you're going to tell them you're my servant. And I'm like, oh, God, no, please, please, please. I don't, and I'm telling God this. I don't want to do that. Oh, good gracious, no, please, God. And literally, they're going around the room, people standing up, and then, Rob. And it's like the very breath was taken out of me. I just stood up and I said, I'm a follower of Jesus. A few months ago, God radically changed my life. And I just began to share. And all of them were just like, and I sat down and I thought, oh, and I was just a brand new Christian. I didn't even have a church. <laughs> I didn't have a church family. I just had Jesus. So it was time to go to lunch. So I went to lunch. <laughs> and I figured, oh, just go to the farthest corner of the room. So I did. I went to the farthest corner. I was like, oh, God. And so I'm starting to eat. And all of a sudden this one guy comes up. Hey, do you mind if I sit here? I'm like, no, yeah, go ahead. Next, next one. And then a few others came, and they looked, and they were like, dude, we've never seen anything like that before. Because I'm not a Christian. He said, but man, you were just so bold. And all of a sudden, these conversations started. And I became known as the preacher. <laughs> but I didn't go in every day, like, oh, you know, come to Jesus. Come to, you know, I just lived my life. They were like, hey, Rob, do you want to go out and get drinks? And they're like, oh, no, you don't drink. 
Or hey, hey Rob, do you want to go out and do this? Or hey, Rob, do you want to go out and do that? I'm like, oh, no, no, thank you. Well, after a while, they were like, hey, Rob, we really want to hang out with you. And that shoot pool, they, that, they, at, at this company, they had like a break room where the pool tables and darts and stuff. And these people just wanted to hang out. But as I'm beginning to know them and getting to hear them, they were asking for prayer. They were saying, listen, you know, this is what's going on in my life. Or, you know, hey, my mother's going through this. And then one day I'm sitting in my office and I got called. Well, let me back up for that day. Then we all get called into the main, the president of the company, the vice president of the company's office. And he wanted to know something about us. <laughs> so when they, they all started chuckling and the guy was like, well, why are you laughing? They were like, let Rob go first. <laughs> and I was like, oh. So I tell him. Like, listen, I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't know really what has happened, but I've given my life to Jesus, and I'm just sharing with him. Some time passes, and then they, he calls me to his office to see him. And as I'm going there, I'm thinking, oh, I'm in trouble. But the man looked at me, and he said, there's something about you. He goes, I walked away from ministry years ago. He goes, I know there's a lot of hurting people here. He says, we can't pray on company's time, but would you meet me outside? And let's just pray. And if people want to join, they can join. I was like, oh, okay. So we go outside the next day, and, and we're standing there, and him and I are holding hands, and we're praying. And then people started untouching our hands. And before you know, there's a circle of people praying brothers and for each other and then a couple weeks after that he calls me back to his office he's like I turned in my resignation <laughs> I talked to my wife I'm going into ministry <laughs> I was like oh man and then a few weeks after that I, I left it was time for me to move on and you say, Rob, why do you share all that? Because I want to encourage you all. I know it's not easy. I know it's uncomfortable to share your faith. I know it's uncomfortable to say, no, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't do those things anymore. I used to be a drunk. I used to love to drink. Oh, my goodness, that I used to love to drink. I used to do crazy things. I know what it's like. But when I gave my life to Jesus, I meant it. Like, oh God, you're God. I was a mess in my head. I was a mess in my emotion. I gave myself to everyone and anything. I was bound to pornography. I was a slave to it all. <laughs> but God steps in as he does with your life. And he says, here I am. <laughs> and then it's your choice. Yes, God, or no, God. <laughs> You're not God. Listen, this life in Christ can be lived. It can be. If it can't be, then good gracious, what are we doing? We might as well go amongst with the world. We, might, we can go on to act like there's no creator. <laughs> And we can just keep giving over to our desires and be so selfish. <laughs> but that's not what God came to do. 
John the Baptist is dead. Jesus now is stepping up. And the message didn't change. Repent, he says. Repent. Verse 16. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished, I'm sorry, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called to them, Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little a little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called to them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men. Verse 21, Jesus and his companions went into the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went to the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him, Be quiet! Come out of the man! He ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority, even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. Jesus, you all. Jesus. That we would see him for truly who he is. He's just not a, a man in a book. He's just not a good bedtime story or a good little spiritual leader. No, he's God. He's God, you all. And he's calling these common men. To, notice where he called his disciples. He didn't call them from the synagogue. He didn't call them from the church folk. He called common men, fishermen, a tax collector. He called common men to himself, and he's doing it still today. He's calling people that are just busy about their lives, going, Hey, here I am. Come follow me. Has he called you? Have you responded? told you last week. He, he called me. I was ending my life. The pills were coming to my mouth. I'm a dead man in front of you. I should be dead. I was so high and stoned and drunk that day. I should have been dead. <laughs> but as those pills came so close to my mouth and then right behind me, I hear... Today you'll live. Hands, pills drop, hands over my head. I hated Jesus. I hated Christians. I was of the occult. 
I love demons. I love the devil. I did things and, and potions and all this crazy stuff. I saw the most craziest things happen. I hated Jesus. But as soon as he spoke, Oh, Jesus, you're real. My life changed. It took some time after that encounter to fully surrender to him. But I finally did. We're like, okay, God, I'm yours. Here I am. I trust you. I don't know what my life is going to look like from this day forward. But God, I trust you and I told you when I got up it was the first time in my 28 years of living that I had peace I didn't know where I was going or what I was going to do all I knew is I had Jesus and that he's all I needed he's all I needed have you heard him call you have you responded to his call that's the question that's the question. No matter what your age is, it's best to come earlier than later. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. Just come. Just come. Trust in him. You can say, well, I don't know everything. I didn't know every, anything. I hated him. I hated him with a deep hatred. He loves us, you all, even in our rebellion. And he says, come out of it. Trust me. Trust me. And did you see what happened when he went into the synagogue? Did you see what was happening? Who was sitting in amongst the religious people? Demons. Listen, it doesn't matter. Hell doesn't mind you going to church. Hell doesn't mind. <laughs> what hell minds is Jesus. Those demons, look what they said. They knew who he was. They called Jesus by name. The Holy One of God. And Jesus dealt with them. And we see that all through the gospel. Demons. Oh, Jesus, is it time that you're going to deal with us? Please, just send us in the pigs. Remember the Bible says, even the demons know the word of God and they tremble at it because they know ultimately their end. They know ultimately their end. So we're not to be afraid of demons. We're not to be afraid of darkness. We shouldn't be looking towards the occult and the things of darkness as if to be interested in it. No, if you're a Christian, you have confidence in your God. And you've been given the authority to walk with such confidence that even if you do come across evil, you deal with it with the power that Jesus has given you. The same power that was displayed here. God is great, you all. God is great. And we've got to understand that. He is. There's no one like him. 
telling you all, I don't know why you would continue to settle for the filth and the created things of this world when God himself is saying, listen, I love you all. I'm here for you all. I've got plans for your life. I've created you. Stop running from me. Stop it. Stop going to the things that are going just to kill you. Come to me and live. That's the message of Jesus. Go to Psalm chapter 35. Psalm 35. And we're closing. Psalm 35, verse 1 through 16. And I keep encouraging you, as we're in the book of Psalms, to read it. See what these men went through. They went through some trouble. They went through depression. They went through anxiety. They went through times of just great stress in their life. But even though they write about those times, they always look up and see their God. And they remind themselves, oh, but you're God. Oh, all of this is happening around me, but you're God. Psalm 35, verse 1 through 16. O Lord, oppose those who oppose me. Fight those who fight against me. Put on your armor and take up your shield. Prepare for battle and come to my aid. Oh, they see their God as a defender. Lift up your spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Let me hear you say, I will give you victory. Bring shame and disgrace on those trying to kill me. Turn them back and humiliate those who want to harm me. Blow them away like chaff in the wind, and a wind sent by the angel of the Lord. Make their path dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. I did them no wrong, but they laid a trap for me. I did them no wrong, but they dug a pit to catch me. So let sudden ruin come upon them. Let them be caught up in the trap they set for me. Let them be destroyed in the pit they dug for me. Then I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be glad because he rescues me. With every bone in my body, I will praise him. Lord, who can compare with you? Who else rescues the helpless with the strong? I mean, helpless from the strong. Who else protects the helpless and poor from those who rob them? <coughs> Malicious witnesses testify against me. They accuse me of crimes I know nothing about. They repay me evil for good. I am sick with despair. Yet, when they were ill, I grieved for them. I denied myself by fasting for them. But my prayers returned unanswered. I was sad as though they were my friends or family, as, as, as if I were grieving for my own mother. But they are glad now that I am in trouble. They gleefully join together against me. I am attacked by people I don't even know. They slander me constantly. They mock me and call me names. They snarl at me. Is this man having a good day or what? <laughs> he's not having a good day. Look what he's going through. He's being bullied. He's being pressed up again. <laughs> and his response to it is not in his own strength. Who is he calling upon for help? 
God. God. Go to Proverbs chapter 9. Just two verses and we're done. Proverbs 9. Oh man, thank you Jesus. Verse 11 and 12. We've been talking about wisdom. Proverbs is the book of wisdom. You need wisdom. You ought to be reading a proverb each day. You need wisdom. Especially in this generation. Oh God, do we need wisdom. There's so much trying to get our attention. Don't you see how the enemy works you all? If he can keep you busy with all of this stuff, he has your soul. And God in the midst of all of that craziness is going, come this way. Come follow me. Here I am. I love you. He's not going to force you to love him. But you have a choice to make. Either continue to allow the world and the enemy in your flesh just just keep bombarding you? Or are you going to start taking the time to go, God, I want to trust in you. I want to receive you, Jesus. And watch how God moves, you all. Wisdom. Remember we were told in just a few verses up, stop trying to tell mockers or people who have an evil intent the truth. Stop trying to correct them and tell them to do anything different because they're not going to listen to you. In fact, they're going to get angry at you and they will hurt you. You know a mocker. You know someone who, who, who doesn't want to hear truth because as soon as you open your mouth, they lash out. And the Bible says to turn away from them. But those who are wise... Though the truth may hurt, they're listening. And then not only are they listening, but they're applying. The Bible says you just can't be hearers of the word. You have to be doers of the word. Listen, you can come to church and just hear and hear and hear, and nothing will come from it. And then you'll say, well, that, see, that didn't work. He's not God. They didn't do nothing for me. Uh, the problem is not God, the problem is you. <laughs> but when you truly believe and you apply God's truth, when you become a doer of it, you become wise. Verse 11, wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. If you become wise, look at this, you will be the one to benefit. If you scorn wisdom, if you turn from wisdom... You will be the one to suffer. Do you know how many people I counsel? Or I've had time to sit down with? Some hear it, and their lives change. Some begin it, and then they fall away. Some mock it. But those who listened and applied, they're living. Even through the craziest circumstances of their life, even whatever they're going through, whatever others are going doing around them, they're living. They're trusting in Jesus. But those who don't, they're suffering. Because the flesh knows nothing good, you all. 
The Bible says where does sin come from? It comes from the desires that are from within. Because when you came out from your mother, you were born of a nature that was in rebellion towards God. But God knew the nature that you would be born into, and yet also God crafted you and designed you and placed you there. And then as you come out... You're of this nature that is in rebellion towards him, and that's why he sent Jesus. To say, I've got you now. Come this way. Come this way. The nature that you were destined for was that of the spirit, not of the flesh. I've got you now. Come this way. And you choose. He loves you enough to say, but if you want the flesh, have it. But it's going to kill you, and it's going to separate you, because you're already separated from me. And if you want to live for eternity apart from me, that is your choice. But here I am, Jesus is saying, I'm making myself aware to you. I'm making myself known to you at your age where you're at. And are you coming I've got you now. Come, follow me. We have work to do. We have my kingdom that we are advancing. Because there's a day that I'm returning. And that's how Christians live, you all. That's why the Bible says you must be born again of the Spirit. Remember that religious leader came to Jesus? How do you mean, how can I be born again? I can't go back up in my mother. And Jesus was like, no, 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 no. You have to be born of the Spirit. It's a whole new nature, you all. And if you're a Christian sitting here today, I want to encourage you to keep growing. Keep pursuing Jesus. Keep allowing your roots to grow down deep. Be a witness to his power. If you're not a Christian, I can't force you. I don't have the power or the ability to make you a Christian. I can only present the word of God to you. If you're not a Christian, my hope is that you would come to Jesus. That your eyes would be open. Because the Bible says that it's the devil that blinds the eyes of men. Trying to keep them in that, in that bondage of, of the flesh. <laughs> but God has so much, something so much greater for us, you all. That we would just stand up and receive. You don't have to be perfect. Being a Christian doesn't mean you're perfect. But it is a transition because you're being born again. And then once you're born again, once you receive Christ, you ought to be baptized. And that, that's a symbol. There's nothing mystical or magical about baptism. It's just a symbol that you're declaring publicly, I am dead to the old and coming up again into a new life. I'm trusting Jesus. Don't be announcing it, you all. So I'm going to close this with this last song. And I hope that as this, these words are being sung over you, that you would just take a moment, no matter what your age is, that you would just take a moment and say, God, have I turned to you? Have I heard you call me? Or God, I hear you, but I'm not coming. <laughs> I'm going to stiff arm you and say you're not God because I want to keep living how I want to live. I 
hope that wouldn't be your answer to him. And then after this time of worship, I'm going to close this in prayer. But before we go downstairs, Faith is going to share with us, right? Still sharing with us? And it's Thanksgiving. And we're celebrating today, eating a meal together, and people will be celebrating later this week. But I'm so encouraged by Faith. And she asked me if she could come up and share what her and her family have gone through. And I'm so grateful to have this family among us. Because God is doing something beautiful with them. So I'm going to close this with this song, close this in prayer, and then Faith, I'll have you come up, okay?
I'm actually going to pray faith after you share. So if you want to come up. Hello. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, so, um, okay. So me and my me and my sister and my mom. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. I'm sorry. Yours. <laughs> I just don't want to remember it, but <laughs> but so we were homeless for a year and. Uh, and during that, I have to um, do, I know it's not my business, but by seeing people bashing my mother, because it's just, it's just, I felt her pain, and I really, I kind of really um, hated God for doing it. I, re I really, I was like, why, of all people, why, why us? So, I, I, uh, I just, I guess I just kind of pretend, because I, I'm not, I just pretend that I kind of love God, because I wanted to support my mother, I wanted to be strong, because there's sometimes, there was sometimes my mom did cry, and I really, I really was upset. So I wanted to be strong for There was times, I know my sister wasn't crying, but it was, I felt both of their pain, and I was really upset. So during that journey, I kind of pretty much say forget God and forget him and all i need to do is just worry about me and my mom and sister forget everybody else and don't but also half of me was saying do not forget do not forget him because this is what my mom always says god will put something won't put something in front of you where which you can't handle so i kept that towards me I don't, Half of me was like, just listen to that phrase. My mom said it like every, every day. So I'm like, is that my mom talking or is that God just saying it out of my mom? Because I was really, really, really mad. And I, I was really mad at him because for a year I have to deal with people bashing my mother. <laughs> Like, yes, they, I'm grateful that they help, but you really have to bash my mother, saying she's not a good mom or she's doing everything wrong. I was really upset. So, when we got to the shelter, I, um, I, I was kind of still upset, but I didn't, I, I think I, my half of myself that still believed it in God was thanking for thank you. Now my now I don't have to listen. To my mom getting bashed, everything. Like she could do something right and she still get she still gets bashed on, and it really hurt. So during that that little journey, I learned a lot of things. Before 
I before that I thought all to be honest I thought all people that was in the shelter was you know freeloaders just there because you know they get everything for free none like but I learned a lot of things some of them yes but most of them wants to get out there like my mom like us three so I'm like okay so I can't I um I really I really learned a lot of things. I learned to not give up. There's still help, hope. And um and I talk to my mom sometimes about the problem and I even told my mom like once we got once we found out once we find I found out we got a place I was ha I was happy. I was like, thank you. I'm sorry that I kind of for a little bit was giving up on you. I learned my lesson. I will never do that again. I will always keep in the phrase like my mom always said, God will never put something in your way if you can't handle it. So now I keep that in mind every day. And I really, I really kind of said, I really, really said sorry. I might not have been bending down my knees, but when I went to sleep, I was like, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Please, please don't punish. <laughs> please don't punish no, none of us because I, I was, I really hate, I, I'm just sorry. I said sorry. And so, uh, I, I'm try, I try to forget what happens there that part of my life but I can't because it kind of changed me the way I looked at things with homeless people shelter people it changed a lot of things so I'm I don't want to get rid of that but it really hurts at the same time well thank you for listening to me God is good to you all. You know, the Bible says that He will never leave us nor forsake us. If we would just turn to Him, we would just recognize Him. And even in the pain, and even in the anger, you know, God doesn't give up on us. He's always there reminding us, I'm the way. I love you. Don't give up hope to me. So Father, I thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for the time that we've been able just to hear your word. I thank you for faith and just the boldness to be able to share of her journey with you, Father, and her families. I thank you, Father, for how you've seen them through. And God, you have so much more for them. I just pray, God, you continue to protect them, Lord, and keep them. I thank you, Father, for just provision for today and just the meal that we're about to to partake of and the work that's gone into it to prepare it. I pray, God, this food will strengthen us and nourish our bodies, God. I pray that you would be with those who are in need today, that they would receive provision, Father. I pray, God, for those who are sick among us, God, that you would heal them, Lord. But above all, Father, I pray for those who don't know you, who have never received you as Lord and Savior. 
that they would come forward today and receive you. And if not today, God, then I pray it wouldn't be delayed for, for too long. I pray, God, at some point they would come to Jesus. And I thank you for that. And for those who are in Christ today, who have received you as Lord and Savior, I pray, God, that you would continue to fan the flame within them, Lord, that you would keep them, God, and that your hand will be upon them indeed, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, hang back. If not,